Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number 42 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I Mark McEvely, bring you into our world of financial planning and the financial market. So good morning to you, Matt. Good morning, Mark. So we've had an uh, interesting couple of weeks after um, pretty much a you know complete fall from grace uh, over such a short period and now uh, getting a huge bounce in the markets and everyone's trying to figure out if this is just what people call a dead cat bounce or if we're going to continue lower eventually uh, over the next couple of weeks. You know, you can definitely kind of see, you know, the market debating that volumes are coming down. And everyone's kind of looking to see, you know, which way the car is going to turn. Right, right. And no one really knows, to be honest. So if someone tells you they do, then they're lying to you. That's right. <laughs> Um, so as always, we'll take the first few minutes to recap the performance for the month and the year of the major indexes that we track. And these numbers are as of the market close on April 8th. And this data is from Coifin this morning, um, a new data provider that we're testing out. So for the month of April already, the S&P 500 index is up 6.4% for the month and down 14.8% for the year. The Dow up 6.92% for the month of April and down 17.75% for the year. The NASDAQ up 5.08% for the month, down 12.10% for the year. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 index is up 3.15% for the month and down 28.73% for the year. The international index, excluding the United States, up 4.62% for the month and down 17.46% for the year. Uh, The three-month T-bill yielding 0.22%, the two-year treasury yielding 0.25%, and the 10-year treasury currently sitting at 0.73%. Um, So moving on to news headlines and current events. Um, For the week, President Trump has begun to advocate for another $2 trillion round of stimulus, Matt, focused on major infrastructure spending. Um, Things from expanding broadband access to overhauling water supplies. Um, You know, I think this is something that both Democrats and Republicans have been advocating for for some time. So hopefully this bill gets passed without much hesitation. And I think a vote on this could come as early as April 20th, I was reading. Um, I know that there were supposed to be talks about it today, but um, hopefully that's done swiftly. No, it'd be great. I mean, I remember back where there was these shovel-ready projects um, in the in the mid two thousands. Yeah, you know, you're going to have those immediately try to get off the ground. You know, overall, I think both Democrats and Republicans in Congress were seeking about one trillion, and you know, Trump's trying to take it to the next level. You know, with with rates as low as they are, you know, the government can finance this at a pretty cheap rate right now. Yeah. So for me, it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
do you want to talk about um, case counts and kind of the COVID curve and what we've been seeing, at least in our research? Yeah. So overall, listeners, what we're seeing is the actual case counts and the curve is um, better than what a lot of the um, models were showing even one, two, three weeks ago. So what we're seeing is actual admissions into ICUs are way down, especially in the hardest hit area of New York. So overall, um, they were uh, projecting um, loss of lives here in the U.S. Originally could be somewhere between 100 and 200,000 lives. And that is all the way down as of Wednesday. It was estimated to be in the mid 60s, 60,000 range. And I'm optimistic that you're going to see that continue to come down um, as social distancing is working. And I think people are just a lot more aware um, than they were, say, a month ago. Um, Next thing, Mark, I got is just the jobs report summary for March that came out um, last Friday. The number came in at uh, job losses of 701,000. That was kind of expected. So the unemployment rate moved up to 4.4% mark from 3.5. And as we've mentioned before, we are expecting that unemployment number to rise again for April when that's reported in May. In addition, I know initial jobless claims came out this morning. It was a little bit over um, 6 million. And so, again, another big headline number on initial jobless claims. But just like we said in last week's podcast, that's to be expected. Right. Okay. Anything you want to add to that? No. Yeah, I was just looking at my phone for that alert. And actually, I just got an alert um, from the Wall Street Journal that said the Fed is launching a program to provide up to $2.3 trillion in loans to businesses cities and states using money provided by Congress. So um, we can dig into that and talk about that possibly on the next podcast. Love it. Um, want to remind listeners that uh, no one's talking about this. First quarter earnings season is around the corner. So uh, with it being April 9th, um, earnings season is going to begin next week with uh, some of the financials, right? The large banks typically report first. Near the end of the month is where you're going to get a bulk of them, a lot of the um, uh, the big boys like the Apple and Amazons of the world. Yeah, and typically we say this every earnings season, but you know, typically the prior weeks leading up to earnings season is usually generally pretty good for the market. I think in anticipation of earnings, so you know that could be part of what we're seeing right now. Who knows? But you know, generally that's what we've seen. You know, over the current current past. Yep. So I think that if these case counts continue to come down, maybe by the end of April, we can focus maybe on some fundamentals. We haven't focused on fundamentals in a while. Yeah, long time. Um, Other thing I want to throw out there, and this seems to change by the day, um, Russia and the Saudis uh, continue to go back and forth on making a deal on, quote, oil prices in production cuts, end quote. Um, Over the weekend, they're expected to make a deal. And um, as soon as uh, this morning, um, on April 9th, <clears throat> Russia kind of seems like they're backpedaling on it. So we'll see. Um, but definitely a lot of volatility um, in, in oil prices right now. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic because everyone's like, oh, my gosh, gas prices are so low right now. But on the other hand, are people really taking advantage of it? Because no one's, no one's it. traveling. Yeah, no one's using it, right? <laughs> I haven't filled up my gas in, I think, like two weeks now, I think. There you go. um, Yeah, just interesting. Um, Okay, well, before we move on to tweets and uh, research, Matt, I have one other um, 
well, I guess this is kind of considered research, but it was a report written by Dr. Scott Gottlieb that uh, outlines a roadmap to getting back to normal life here in the U.S. And, you know, everyone is asking the question, when are things going to reopen and get back to normal here? And I think Dr. Gottlieb makes a compelling case of how to do that. And I would encourage everyone to read this article, which we've linked to in our show notes. So if you go to jessupwealthmanagement.com, hover over the podcast tab and click on show notes, you'll be able to see the link to this article that Dr. Uh, Gottlieb wrote. Um, But I just wanted to highlight part of the article and how he believes we transition from social distancing and stay at home orders to starting to reopen parts of the economy. And he lists four things that need to happen before we start seeing stay at home orders lifted in each state. And again, this is all on a state by state basis. This is not national. Okay. Um, So the first thing is a sustained reduction in case counts for at least 14 days. Second, hospitals in the state are safely able to treat all patients requiring hospitalization without resorting to a crisis standard of care. Third, the state is able to test all people with COVID-19 symptoms. And four, the state is able to conduct active monitoring of confirmed cases in their contacts. Um, So again, when this all is going to happen, it's anyone's best guess at this point, but I do agree with him that that I feel like all those things need to happen before we do start getting back to somewhat of a normal life. Um, and there's another note that I found interesting in this report that he said, with effective development strategies and early investments in commercial scale manufacturing, a successful therapeutic could receive emergency use authorization or approval as early as the summer or fall if trials demonstrate that it meets either standard. Now, see, that matches what I mentioned a couple podcasts ago about what Dr. Fauci was saying in that press conference. Right. That if one of those show promise and the data supports it, that they would fast track that sometime over the summer, early fall. Right. Right. Exactly. So then he he wrote actually wrote another piece in The Wall Street Journal about this, too, where he conveyed that, you know, the therapeutic drug to treat COVID-19 and reduce risk of people becoming seriously ill is possible by the summer. Um, And this would allow people to return to work and a somewhat normal life with normal gatherings, not huge gatherings, knowing that the risk of them being severely ill is greatly you know, reduced because there is an effective treatment for it. So people could go back to work knowing that if they do contract the disease, that there is a, you know, a therapeutic drug and treatment available for them. Um, now, I think that, you know, th- there's going to be parts of the population that are going to be advised to still stay home, like older parts of the population and people who have underlying conditions that, you know, pre-exist them to be more susceptible to more it. susceptible to yep. it. Um, so, you know, I think that that's kind of the next steps that we're we're going towards right now. And he also mentions that um, there's not going to be a vaccine this year. So. Um, just thought that was interesting. So everyone can check that out on our website if you want to read it for yourselves. So moving on to the tweets, articles, and research from the week that caught our eyes, Matt. Um, I'll start with a blog post from Tom Boley from StockCharts.com, who we mentioned before on the podcast. And he said this, quote, making the bullish case for U.S. equities. And this was from April 5th. Um, Have you ever researched the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic? 
nearly one-third of the global population was infected by the Spanish flu, and the mortality rate was as high as 10%. Many of the social distancing measures that are now in place were also put into effect then. Oh, and by the way, there was this World War thingy taking place at the same time. Do you know how the Dow Jones Industrial Average performed in 1918, the year of the outbreak, and 1919, the resurgence of cases, with war taking place simultaneously? It gained 10.51% and 30.45% over those two years, respectively. Businesses can be extremely resilient, especially during a secular bull market with overwhelming support from both the government and the Fed. So what do you think about that? I, um, I'm i surprised the returns were, were that strong during the time, yeah. uh, is, is my first take on it. And I would agree. You know, um, I said it before on the, on the podcast, I'll say it again, um, with what the Fed um, it has done so far to ensure that the monetary system is working um, to the best of its can during this economic shock, and they've been so proactive with the action that they've taken, uh, the Congressional CARES Act bill, um, you know, once this money does start flowing, I think will help Main Street. We really didn't have much help for Main Street back in, in 08 and 09. So I'm on the optimistic side that, you know, looking out several quarters, I think the government this time around in general has been extremely proactive. And I'm hoping that that blunts the blow of this economic shock. Yeah. Yeah. And for people that, you know, might not necessarily completely understand what the Fed's doing is my best way to describe it is that the Fed brought a bazooka to a fist fight. Yeah. And they threw the kitchen sink at the market and then they went back in and threw the other kitchen sink at the market. So they're doing everything they possibly can. And actually, this is a critique of myself. I thought that, you know, initially when the Fed started lowering rates, it was the wrong move. And I was like, hey, I don't think they're going to have enough bullets left in the chamber. But I was wrong about that. And I'm proud to admit that. I think that there's they're never not going to have any bullets left in the chamber after what they've shown they can do during right. this time of crisis. So right. um, just wanted to throw that out there for people. Yeah, no, I thought it was great. You brought this up. Um, the last thing I had was that I just wanted to recap the relief for retirement accounts with this CARES Act. And we have posted this graphic to sh- uh, our show notes as well for this episode. And this is courtesy of Ed Slot & Co., Um, So they have this graphic that just kind of outlines the relief for retirement accounts during this time. So deadlines for filing the following have been extended to July 15th of 2020. Tax return filing deadline, IRA and Roth IRA contributions for 2019, HSA contributions, Archer Medical Savings Accounts contributions, and Coverdale Education Savings Accounts contributions. Deadlines have all been extended to July 15th of 2020. Uh, The second thing, the CARES Act also uh, waived all RMDs for 2020. So you don't have to worry about an RMD if you were scheduled to take one in 2020. Um, RMDs taken this year can also be undone if they are eligible to be uh, rolled over. And the eligibility with that is the RMD must have been within 60 days. Um, So that's one of the key uh, things there. Um, more relief for individuals. Relief is available to individuals if they or a spouse or a dependent are diagnosed with COVID-19 
and experience adverse financial consequences from being quarantined, furloughed, laid off, reduced work hours, unable to work due to lack of childcare, closing or reducing hours of a business owned or operated by the individual or other factors to be determined by the treasury. And again, when we first talked about this, Matt, I think the guidelines are pretty, pretty loose on, you know, being affected by COVID-19. Also, the 10% early distribution penalty from retirement accounts has been waived to recap that if you were under 59 and a half in a normal environment, if you took money out of a uh, tax deferred retirement account or a retirement account in general, you would be um, subject to ordinary income tax plus a 10% penalty because you're under 59 and a half. But the CARES Act has waived that 10% penalty. So even if you are under 59 and a half, you won't have to pay that. You won't have to pay the 10% penalty. Um, so the penalty is waived on up to $100,000 of 2020 distributions from IRAs and company plans for coronavirus related distributions. The tax would be due, but could be spread evenly over three years, and the funds could be repaid over the three-year period. Affected individuals who are over age 59 and a half can still take advantage of the three-year income tax deferral and payback period. And the last thing I want to mention is plan loan relief. So for affected individuals, the maximum amount of plan loans is increased from $50,000 uh, to $100,000. And again, uh, this is with 401k plans. The plan providers do not have to abide by this guideline. And I want to make that super clear um, because we had that confusion with a couple of our clients is that we thought initially that the government said this is how it's going to be and all plan exactly. providers have to do that. But exactly. if your employer says, nope, we're keeping our limit for 401k loans at $50,000, then you're limited to $50,000 and you can't go up to the $100,000 maximum set by the government at this point in time. So you have to check with your employer and your plan provider to make sure um, you're abiding by these guidelines. Okay, I know that was a lot, but I just wanted to- It's a great graphic. Yeah, it it is, it's It's helpful. It's easy to understand. they don't use what I would call a lot of industry jargon. They yeah, try to make it in, it's very in plain, plain English. Plain English. Yeah, so once it. again, listeners, this uh, graphic is on our website. So jessupwealthmanagement.com. Uh, Just hover over the podcast tab, and then you're going to see the show notes. For episode 42. Yep. Yep. Um, I got a couple things, Mark. Um, first um, bit of research that caught my eye is from The Lund Loop, and it's written by Brian Lund, and this one was... Um, Uh, issued on April 4th. And I've mentioned this before a long time ago in one of the podcasts, but I'll just read this. Uh, His uh, note said, and I quote, the saying it's different this time is well known amongst traders. It's something that newbies, financial talking heads, and fear mongers like to say when an unexpected market event arises and which experienced traders just shake their heads at. It's never different. The market moves on two timeless human emotions, fear and greed, ensuring that if you stay in the game long enough, you'll learn that everything new is old. But what's going on right now in our society is different. So, Mark, I still stand by this. I stand by this. 
one of the most costly terms heard on Wall Street is it's different this time. Do you agree or disagree? I agree with it. I agree with it. But I think I'm going to throw it out there. It is different this time. The reason for the sell off is different this time. The reason is always different for the sell off. Right. But the recovery, the outcome has never been different. There it is. Thank you. Never been different. And until I'm not saying that it can't eventually at some point, but just looking over history, it's never been different. We've recovered from everything so far. Right. And the markets relating to the markets. Yes. So while reasons for sell offs, recessions, depressions are always different, completely agree with the outcome is not is not. All right. So um, next is from Argus Research. Uh, This note uh, was from April 6th, Mark. Okay, so pretty recent. I'm going to read this one because to me, it makes a ton of sense. Quote, the S&P 500 now sits about 26% from its mid-February all-time high. Investors continue to look for signs that worst-case scenarios have been priced in. On the positive side, stocks have occasionally held up well on days when particularly negative data has been announced, indicating that they are likely in stronger hands than a few weeks ago. And while last week's volatility may seem historically high, with the S&P 500's average daily move of 2.6%, That is less than half the average of 5.4% daily move of the prior three weeks. Importantly, the Federal Reserve's massive bond buying and liquidity efforts appear to have shored up the fixed income in mortgage security markets. However, we believe it's too early to gauge the impact of the $2.2 trillion fiscal spending plan we will have on the economy. Payments to individuals of $1,200 of course, depending upon income levels, have not been made, while the $350 billion designed for small business lending has just only begun. Success of the latter will be very important to see the extent to which companies maintain their payrolls, a condition of the stimulus. Okay, so it's going to be interesting. I agree with this note in in, in general. And so um, I will say, and we've noted it before, the feeling that we haven't, um, uh, we won't go back down per se in the market, that we're not going to retest that March 23rd bottom. You are getting a sense from, say, certain sections of, of the market right now. And I think that's a dangerous premise. Mm-hmm. So would you like to take a second and just kind of talk about to the listeners um, that there is a chance we could go back and retest those lows and even go down more and that we want to be careful about the market sending maybe a sign of a false sense of security. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, if you, again, you just put, you know, the S and P 500 on a chart and chart and look back to, you know, the tech bubble or look back to the great financial crisis. Um, you know, those instances both have saw retests of bottoms and even undercut the initial bottom. Um, but I also think that the dangerous part is that everyone Literally in our industry, everyone is saying we are going to retest the bottom or we are going to go lower. Yes. And that's dangerous because if you get enough people saying that. It's going to do the opposite. It's going to do the opposite. So I think, you know, you just have to be careful that, you know, again, like we mentioned before, I don't think we're out of the woods yet. And just because the market's been strong the past week or to the start of the month of April doesn't mean we're going right back to all time highs. Yeah. The thing I'll say is I think looking out multiple months, multiple quarters, I'm more optimistic 
mm-hmm. than I am, say, looking out one, two, three weeks. Right. So I think there's there's also that difference. Yeah. You know, your time horizon. Yeah, absolutely. And then one other thing with because that note talked about um, the loans for small businesses. Mm-hmm. And that's also something that I've been seeing you know, on my Twitter feed and in the news that all these banks are are so overwhelmed by all these business loans. But like, for example, my dad runs a small business in upstate New York and his process has been squeaky clean and there haven't been any problems. So I wonder, I want to talk to more business owners and see how their experience has been because all the things I'm seeing on the news and on my Twitter feed are negative, but actual people that I talk to that own small businesses haven't had any problems yet. So it's an interesting dynamic. I don't know if that depends on if you're using like a local or community bank compared to like a, you know, a JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America, that type of I thing. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, just thought that was interesting. No, that's great. Uh, one more piece from Argus. This will take uh, just one second. Uh, the title of the note was April often good for stocks. So they said, and I quote, the average gain for the S&P 500 in the month of April since 1980 is 1.6%, trailing only November's average gain of 1.7. We note that the market returns in April have exceeded 5% on six occasions since 1980. And here's the key, including a 9.4% gain in 2009 as the market was beginning to recover from the financial crisis of 07 to 09. Nice little interesting statistics. Those numbers seem so small. The average gain for the S&P 500 in the month of April since 1980 is 1.6% trailing only November. We moved that that in 30 minutes. Child's play compared to what we've been (laughs) dealing with right now. Yeah, that's weird. It just looks weird just reading that number because it's not that has not been the normal the past month, two months. No, in, in in the past, let's call it two months feel like a year. Yeah, they do. At least in our world. Yeah, seriously. All right, Mark, I'll send it back to you for the financial planning topic of the week. Okay, so this one came from uh, an article written by Christine Benz from Morningstar. Um, This was on March 30th, and it was titled 10 Sources of Emergency Cash, Ranked Best to Worst. So the CARES uh, stimulus bill passed, um, gave people several options to access cash if necessary during these tough times. So I think this article provides a good outline for people of how to, you know, you know, in what order do you tap into your funds to get cash if you need it? So let's kind of just go through these one by one, and then we'll see if you agree or disagree with the order or if you think it's a good idea or I love a bad it. idea. Okay. So the first thing uh, Christine lists on number one is your own emergency fund or short-term securities, right? So this yep. is highly liquid investments in like bank savings accounts or money markets, um, and ideally, the industry standard is holding a minimum of three to six months worth of living expenses, and retirees should target one to two years worth of anticipated portfolio withdrawals. Um, and I think because we've been virtually in a straight up market for almost a decade, Matt, lots of people didn't feel the need to have an emergency savings account. So what are your thoughts on that? I still stick by what we tell clients, that three to six months guideline, depending upon you know how stable their job is, um, I still stick by that. Yeah, I hope that this brings back the importance to people of actually having emergency savings accounts and contributing to their emergency savings accounts every single uh, paycheck and every pay period until they have a sufficient amount of cash in there. Yeah. And then you draw that line in the sand. Once you reach that amount, you should be disciplined and invest that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then again, for, um, you know, for people who are 
looking for higher yielding savings accounts, there's a lot of online banks that do you know higher yielding savings accounts like Ally or Marcus by Goldman Sachs, so they can check that out as well. And no, we are not paid by either. <laughs> we are not. Um, number two, low risk assets in uh, in a taxable account. So assuming you've depleted your emergency fund and you still need cash, the next step should be to take a look at other taxable holdings that you have. So investments in a brokerage account, for example. So I would focus first on investments that you can sell at a loss so you won't have any tax consequences and then move on to long-term gains and then short-term gains if you still need money. But I would focus on tax loss harvesting in those after-tax account if you can. Yeah, I agree with this so far. Okay. Okay. Um, and then number three is Roth IRA contributions. So you can withdraw, uh, as a reminder, any Roth IRA contributions at any time without having to pay penalties or tax on that. Okay. Because you've already paid it. Because you've already paid it. This is for Roth IRAs. It doesn't apply to Roth 401ks. Okay. So specifically, um, the downside is that you'll have fewer retirement funds working for you. Okay. So if your contributions are invested in stocks, you'll be pulling the money out after stocks have incurred sizable losses. So I think this is why this is number three on the list and not number one or two, because, um, you know, you are putting yourself in a tough position if you never put that money back into the account because you're selling at a lower point you know, than we have been in the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, but that option is available. And it's also another nice uh, reason for people to start contributing to Roth IRAs because you can uh, take out those contributions if you need to. So just to be more specific, if you're under 59 and a half listeners, you can't touch your earnings. Correct. You can only touch your the contributions. contributions. Yeah, contributions. Yep. So number four, I thought this one was interesting, Matt, is life insurance cash values. So cash values that have built up in your whole life insurance or variable universal life insurance policies can be another decent source of emergency cash. You can withdraw money outright and have it deducted from your policy's face value. So for example, if you withdrew $15,000 from a policy with a cash value of $50,000, your heirs would receive $35,000 when you die. Okay, so those withdrawals are tax-free assuming they don't exceed your cost basis, which is the amount that you've put into the policy. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's an okay yeah, method? I'm fine with that. Okay. Yeah. In fact, I think I'd move that before the Roth. You think so? Yeah. 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 I th actually, I think I would too. I guess depending on where you are and your point in, in life. Sure. But yeah. Um, number five is a 401k loan, which I know that me and you are not very high on, Matt. But no. um, if people are, you know, I would say that people, some people are in dire circumstances and have no other option. So, and the um, reason, listeners, that we are kind of against that is we've seen hypotheticals of people taking out those loans, paying them back over time. You know, one where they buy, say, an initial house and later in life taking out money, say, for college expenses. And when you look at the ending um, balance figures for someone over their whole working career, they're dramatic. Yeah. They are. And so, you know, we've seen enough of those illustrations that, you know, we, we try to, 
make that very low on the list of options. Yeah, and this is why we pound the table on making sure you have your emergency fund set up, making sure you have money in a taxable account when we're in good times to be able to access it in times like this. And I can't stress that enough is that you need to prepare for times like this when we're in good times. Like yep, we you have gotta, been you gotta, you gotta have that again. umbrella ready, yeah. right? For the rainy day. So if you haven't been prepared, this is a wake up call that, you know, when we recover and eventually we will, you need to make sure that you make it a priority to make sure you have all of these things set up for the next crisis that we face. And, you know, the, the best example I can give a listener is you start slow, start at 50 bucks a month, right? And then maybe, you know, say six months later, raise it to 60 bucks a month. If you do it in slow increments, it's not going to be that bad. Yeah. And then it'll just become a normal part of your process, you know, so you're not missing that money anymore. You Bingo. learn to live off of the money, you know, after you deduct that, Bingo. that $60 exactly. saving every month. Um, so again, people can take 401k loans. Um, like we mentioned before, um, the CARES Act allows for loans up to $100,000 from $50,000. Um, again, subject to the plan sponsor's discretion. Um for people who need the funds due to coronavirus-related uh, issues. So the 401k loan, Christine says, is better than a hardship withdrawal because even though you're required to pay interest on the loan, the interest gets paid back into your account. Again, like you said, we've seen studies on You're missing out on the compounding of that money yeah, exactly. in the market. So yeah. I would really advocate not to do the 401k loan if you if you don't have to. You and I are on the option. same wavelength on this yeah. one. And then <clears throat> um, the next one on the list, Matt, was a home equity line of credit. So essentially you're borrowing against any equity you've built up in your house. Um, the positives of that is that interest rates on HELOCs might be reasonable if you maintain a good credit rating or have a decent amount of equity in your home. But on the downside, if you're not a perfect borrower, you could be asked to pay uh, a higher interest rate or be denied the line of credit altogether. So I would move this before the 401k loan. Really? Okay. Tell me why. Because the aspect I have is this, you know, you're not going to affect the compounding of that 401k, right? Yeah. And I think that people are going to be more disciplined to pay down that debt rather than, well, you know, the 401k loan. That's for five years. That's a good point. And so you know, they might have the ability to pay that back in year two, but they don't because it's an automatic deduction. Mm -hmm. So I very rarely see people pay their 401k loan back early. Yeah, that's true. So I would rather see them do it in the HELOC because I think they're going to be more motivated to do that. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. Um, and then number seven, uh, and there's a couple more that Christine lists out, but I'm going to stop at number seven, is the hardship withdrawals. So... Um, again, the CARES Act makes it easier for people who have suffered COVID-19 related harm to tap into their IRAs and company retirement plans um, because it eliminates the 10% early withdrawal penalty, um, but it also allows for the funds to be paid back over three years. And the withdrawal associated with tax burden can be spread over you know, three years as well. And again, the big downside to this, like we just talked about, is it's a less than ideal time to be pulling money out of stocks right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Um, you know, and one can make the argument that it's not, but 
you know, I beg to differ. So yep. I think, you know, try to stick to the first three, I would say, or the first two. Um, and again, it's just, it's a part of being prepared for times like this. I know people don't want to hear it and they want to, um, you know, spend their money when we're in friendlier times, but you know, for the people that have prepared for a time like this, I know from talking to them personally that they're extremely happy that they did it. Exactly. Um, so I think we need, I don't know what it's going to take if it's just more people out there who have prepared and are talking about this and, you know, out there telling people that it's made their lives a whole hell of a lot easier because they have prepared for this and they're not worried about the next, you know, six months or one year. But I don't know what it's going to take. I but think it's just people going through this yeah, and not being prepared saying, I'm not going to let that happen again. Right. Because we went so long where this hasn't been an issue sure. to even people in my generation or, you know, people that are around my age, they, I mean, they didn't have these worries back when 07, 08 happened, but now that they did, I'm hoping that that wakes people up to, to make sure that, you know, they are prepared for things like this. Absolutely. So. Um, any other thoughts, Matt, before wrapping up for this week? So I did have um, a late submission uh, to me, Mark, on a, on a question from a listener. And this one uh, was from a gentleman by the name of Matt. And he asked us to clarify um, beneficiary IRA rules. What's the difference between a person inheriting that account pre January 1st mm -hmm. and post. Yeah. So can you just spend, um, say, 30, 60 seconds on on how that works and the difference between um, the two years and the SECURE Act? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the difference is that if you inherited an IRA account prior to 2020, you were able to stretch those distributions, the required minimum distributions over your lifetime. Okay, so say uh, a grandparent passed away and the grandchild inherited an IRA from them. The government just said, hey, we're going to make you take a small required minimum distribution every year so that you can pay your tax on it and we can get our tax revenue. Okay, and they uh, allowed beneficiaries or people who inherited the account to do that over their lifespan. Now, in 2020, if you inherit a IRA, for example, the government is going to make you deplete that account 10 years following the year of death of the original owner. Okay. So there are no longer required minimum distributions from inherited IRAs. However, if you do not take distributions each and every year, that full balance needs to be withdrawn in year 10 meaning that that balance is fully taxable at your ordinary income tax rate for that year. Exactly. So what we're recommending, and we haven't seen a lot of it yet because it's early in 2020, but for people that do inherit IRAs in 2020, it generally, for the most part, makes sense to take small distributions over that 10-year period so you're not hit with that huge tax liability in year 10. Exactly. So I hope that clarifies that for people. So like what you're suggesting is you take um, one tenth in year one, one ninth in year two, one eighth until you, get, until you keep getting it down. Correct. So um, just to kind of recap what you're saying, if you, the, the time at which you inherited the beneficiary IRA, if it was before January 1st, 2020, 
They're grandfathered. They're grandfathered. That's yep, what this I want. Wanted... Yeah, the, the SECURE Act was not retroactive. So it's only for individuals that inherit these IRAs beginning in this year. Yep. So a good rule of thumb is that if the original account owner passed away sometime in 2020, you're subject to the new rules. There you if go. If it was any time before that, subject to the old rules. And your grandfather. Continue as is. Yep. All right. There you go, Matt. There's your answer. Yeah. And then one other thing before we sign off for the week it, that I found interesting was related to student loans. Oh. So um, my fiance has some student loans and obviously is the nerdy planner that I am been helping, you know, trying to figure out the best payment strategies and that type of thing. Right. So in the CARES Act or it was before the CARES Act, uh, President Trump suspended uh, student loan payments and brought interest rates all the way down to zero for all federal student loans. And it was at least I interpreted this in the CARES Act that you physically, if you wanted to stop payments on your federal student loans, you had to go in there and stop the payments. So they would, they would have the rates go to payments. zero, but they would keep taking out your systematic Correct. payment unless you went in and did it. And that's that's how I interpreted it. Maybe there that's is, how I read it, too, by the way. Yeah, there, okay. maybe there's something that we're missing, but that's how I read it. OK, so I went in to check and, you know, make sure that the payments were still going through on on Kenzie's student loans. Yes, sir. And they didn't take out her automatic payment for the month. Tricky, so tricky. what I'm saying is the loan, the interest rates on the loans have been brought down to zero. So, you know, government's not going to be making any money. Right. But the balance is going to be the same. Exactly. So unless you do something, I would highly encourage you to go on and check if you have federal student loans to see if you've incurred the same thing. Because again, as I interpreted it, you had to physically log into your student loan website and stop your payments or else your payments would continue as is. But for Kenzie, at least that wasn't the case. They yeah. just stopped the automatic deduction from her bank account every month. Um, and and wouldn't you agree if, if an individual can financially afford to continue that payment, it would be a good idea? Absolutely. You're okay. paying down debt at a 0% interest rate. Exactly. And this is the time to do it, that if you still have a job, you're still working full time, continue. And I would even say shovel more uh, money if you can afford to do it to paying off those student loans because you're paying it off at 0% interest rate. Interest isn't accruing. Yep. So, but just be careful with that. So it's the opposite of what we we thought. What we thought, and again, maybe we overlooked something. But you know, I would encourage people to log in and check to see if their automatic payments are still going through because Kenzie's was not. And I'm glad that I got on there. And, and thank you for sharing that, man. that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, okay, well, that'll do it for this week, and we will be back with you next week. I hope everyone has a safe and fun weekend, as much fun as they can have at home. Absolutely, listeners. Share the podcast with your friends and family. Submit those questions to Mark at uh, mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. 
have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show, message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com. And we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.